Hi, my name is Jill. Throughout this series, we will read each psalm as a call and response. If you are able, please stand as we recite Psalm 42. As the deer longs for flowing streams, so longs my soul for you, O God. My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me continually, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I will praise him again, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, God's song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Like a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I will praise him again, my help and my God. The word of the Lord. Remain standing as we pray. So, Father, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you give us hearts that are ready to hear your word, that it would pierce deep into our hearts, it would convict us, it would challenge us, it would change us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name, and everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Well, we've been in the series on the Psalms, and each week we've kind of reminded ourselves that the Psalms are this collection of prayers and songs from the people of Israel, from the Israelites, and they they shape our language, they shape the language of our faith, and so that's been the subtitle for this series. The book of Psalms is actually organized into five sections, five smaller books, and it's designed that way very likely to correspond to the first five books of the Old Testament, and so uh, for the for the Jewish believers, they would say that the first five books, the Torah, represent God speaking to us. And then the Psalms divided into five books represent how we answer God. And so this morning we're in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. These Psalms represent the beginning of book two, the start of kind of this new thing. And, and Psalm 42 is very famous. It's well known because of uh, this phrase that it opens with. It opens with this, this phrase, this metaphor for of thirst, of longing for water. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced thirst that was so desperate it made you do crazy things. 
Now, I've not done a lot of crazy things in my life, but there was this one time. I was in, uh, I was in high school, and uh, you know, I grew up in Malaysia. That's where uh, we're originally from. And when I was 10, we moved to Portland, Oregon. We lived there for three years. We moved back to Malaysia. And I had a friend who came from Oregon to visit me in Malaysia. I mu- we must have been 15 or maybe 16. I'm not sure. But we decided that to make the most of his visit, we were going to take a train down to Singapore. Now, that's about a four- or five-hour train ride. And uh, we were advent- feeling adventurous, and we changed our money into Singapore currency, and we were ready to go. And I had some family in Singapore that was going to meet us uh, there. And so we get down there, and when we arrive, we realize that our wallets have been stolen. And so we had no cash left. A couple 16-year-old dudes were like so hungry, so thirsty, and we were hanging out all day at this place called Sentosa Island. I mean, it's a, sort of like an amusement park slash like water park resort-ish sort of thing. It's nice, you know. And we were so thirsty, we couldn't afford anything to drink. But all around us were these coconut trees. Now, I grew up drinking coconut water right out of the coconut. I understand that coconut water is the most hydrating, refreshing, amazing drink of all. But these coconut trees were not meant to just be, you know, climbed and grabbed, you know, coconuts for yourself, you know. Especially if you know anything about Singapore. They call Singapore a fine city because you can get fined for anything in Singapore. (laughs) You can get fined for chewing gum. It's illegal in Singapore. Truly, it is. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can get fined for. And so surely scaling a coconut tree at a resort venue and plucking a coconut was something that might be punishable by death. We don't know. But we were so desperate for thirst that we found a particular lower, shorter coconut tree. And by some shenanigans, he shimmied me up there. I grabbed the coconut, smashed it against a rock, and instantly we were better. And of course, everything was fine. We went to my family's place later and we were taken care of. But there's this feeling that when you're thirsty, you'll do anything. You're desperate. Now, Psalm 42 opens with this story that sounds so poetic and idyllic and kind of peaceful. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. But the problem is we're envisioning a deer like in the Rocky Mountains, And we're envisioning a deer like these little mule deer or whatever and this little babbling brook by the mountainside where there's aspen trees, you know, sort of gently swaying in the breeze. And oh, look at that sweet deer sipping by the brook, you know. Look, that's not the scene. If you've been in the Middle East or you've watched documentaries or things like that, this is probably more like a scene from planet Earth. And if you can imagine that episode in Planet Earth where the antelope is on the precarious precipice and Sir Richard Attenborough is narrating, the antelope is in search of some water. He does not see the desert fox following him. And then all of a sudden, and and you're watching this antelope on the precarious thing. That's what this is like. The psalmist is not comparing himself to some peaceful mule, mule deer sipping by the babbling brook. The psalmist is saying, I'm like a parched animal in the wilderness, hunted before my life, trying to find just a drop of water. That's how desperate he is. And then he goes on in verse 2 and he says, I thirst for the living, for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? Right off the bat, what we get is not a scene of how sweet life is. Instead, we get a picture of how life will leave you parched. 
life has a way of leaving you parched. Psalm 42 is a very different setting than Psalm 23, where we imagine quiet waters and green pastures and the Lord as our shepherd. Here it's like... I need some water. How long, oh God, before when can I come and see you again? And then read on, verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, where is your God? Now we know just from elementary science that the more water your body expels, the thirstier and more dehydrated you get. And the psalmist has been crying himself to sleep. Tears have been my food. And so life has left him parched. Not just because he's in a desert, but because he's been overcome with sorrow. And tears have been his food day and night. While all day long people say, where's your God? Verse 9. Verse 9 says, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones while all day long they say, where is your God? Some of you know this feeling. You know this feeling of being parched, of having life leave you dry. The, store, the song that is, you know, has made this verse so famous, maybe at least in our day, As the Deer, anybody? As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. Right, it's beautiful. Uh, when I was in high school, I got to meet Marty Nystrom, who wrote the song, and he told the story behind the song. And, uh, and, and, and Marty said the story behind it was he was a freshman at Oral Roberts University, but the girl that he liked was attending a different college in Dallas instead of Tulsa, a place called Christ for the Nations, CFNI. And so he decided after his first year at ORU that this was enough of being apart from the woman that he really loved. And so he was going to, you know, like the line in the movies, I went to go see about a girl. He went to go pursue her. So he transfers down into CFNI and discovers that she's seeing someone else. Now, this would never happen in our day because we can Facebook stalk people, you know. <laughs> You can see who they're hanging out with. You're like, oh, I'm not going to make that mistake. But this was his experience of devastation. So he's sitting there worshiping at the piano, and he's playing the chord progression to that old Andre Crouch song. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you. And he's playing this chord progression. I just want to thank you. And he starts singing. That's the dear band. Anyway, it's a different key. But, but starts playing the same, starts playing that progression and, and singing, and he writes as the deer. Many of you, maybe your first experience of life leaving you dry was a relationship leaving you dry, a relationship that left you parched. Or maybe it was more serious than that. Maybe it's the experience of a home that was hard. And it didn't take much living to realize life is hard and dry and will leave you feeling parched and desperate. I love sitting down with people who are a couple decades ahead of me in life, and recently I was having lunch with a guy who's 65, and we've known each other for 18 years, and um, you know, I've seen his kids grow up from teenagers to young adults get married. They have kids of their own. He's become a grandpa, and we're reminiscing about all of this at lunch, and we're talking about now the different health challenges 
and, 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 and uh, concerns about the kids and whether they're walking with the Lord still and all of this stuff. And we're, we're talking about all this. And I said to him, okay, I'm about to turn 40. I, I, I now have. And, um, but at the lunch, I was about to. And I said, tell me a little bit about what I need to know in my 40s. And he says, recognize this as a sweet moment, as a sweet season but understand that life is not full of only those seasons, that things happen. And it, it helps me realize that life has a way of leaving us parched. There's hardness. There's difficulty. There's unexpected pain, unexpected turns in the road, and all of a sudden you say, how did we end up here? I thought we were in this fruitful, watery garden of a place, and now why is it that we are here. And the psalmist says, look, my adversaries taunt, and they say, where is your God? Maybe you don't have people that are actually saying that, but you wonder to yourself, what are they saying about me when they go back to their car? What are they saying when they go back to their homes? Are they saying, gosh, whew, good thing we made different choices. Good thing we didn't do that. Good thing we did this. Good thing we did that. Life has a way of leaving you parched, feeling like God has forgotten you and your friends have forsaken you, making you wonder if your best of friends are whispering about you saying, that didn't work out so well. And so the psalmist feels the sting of that. What do we do with this? What do we do in these moments where we begin to spiral downwards? The psalmist begins to intercept his thoughts. He begins to intercept his downward thought spiral and redirect his thirst toward God. He begins to say, now wait a second, before I just go all the way down, I need to redirect. I need to redirect my thirst for God. See, the amazing thing about the opening verses of Psalm 42 over and over again is look at this. As the deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? Over and over again, the story is not about his thirst, but about the God who he's thirsty for. You see, there is a way of taking your lament and taking your, your, your sorrow and making it an object in itself. But the point of a lament is not that you lament, it's that you let your thirst lead you to God. The point of the lament is not to say, oh, well, good, I'm glad I got that off my chest. The point of the lament is to name your thirst so that you can aim your thirst. Name your thirst so that you can aim your thirst. Name it. The thing is, I am longing for you, God. The thing is, I'm broken and desperate and parched. I need you, God. And so the psalmist begins to intercept the downward spiral of his thoughts and begin to redirect it to God. And so this morning, I want us to, to reflect on this for a moment. What does it look like to aim our thirst for God? What does it look like to be thirsty for God? What does it look like to say in those moments where life leaves us dry? What does it look like to begin to thirst for God? The first thing that the psalm tells us is that part of it looks like remembering the people of God in the very house of God. Listen to verse 4. He says, I remember this as I pour out my heart. Now this is key because twice in the psalm, the psalmist says the word remember. And here's the key. When your present tense is difficult and the future is unknown, the only thing you go back to is the past. 
And so he starts going back to the past, and he says, I remember. And what does he remember? I remember as I pour out my heart how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. In Israelite worship, likely he's remembering one of the great feast days where they would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, where they would make their way to the temple of the Lord. And so they would journey from wherever they were throughout the desert, throughout this wilderness, throughout this place, and remind themselves that they're on their way to the presence of God. You see, friends, the people of God, the church, is not just community. I hope that you find community in the church, but the church is not just generic community. We live in an age where everybody's trying to supply community. I mean, everybody's trying to su- My kids' soccer teams are trying to get community going, you know. We get more emails than we can keep up with the dance studio. Let's have some community and you have a parent night and a social. The school's trying to do a social. My wife goes to the gym. She goes to this thing called Orange Theory Fitness. Sounds very complicated. Very stressful. And she goes to this thing and she says, look, at, at Orange Theory, they're trying to do community there where everybody who's working out at an ungodly hour, I suppose you bond when you do that. And then they're, 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 they have donations for causes, donate to the ALS cause, donate to this. Look, it's great. As far as it goes, I'm happy. Wonderful that businesses try to do social goods. If you're doing that, that's wonderful. And as good as all of that is, that's not the same thing as the church. But if we genericize this and all of a sudden say, oh, the church, that's like community, right? Well, I got my community over here. The psalmist is not saying, I miss my community. He's saying, I miss the people who understand the power of the presence. I miss the people who are shaped by the presence of God. The people who will journey, who will be on a pilgrimage, who will walk in a procession just so they can come to the house of God. The church The church is the people who understand the power of the presence of God. The church is the people who understand that there's nothing else in life that can satisfy your thirst except for God himself. And so the psalmist says, I miss those people. I want to be with the people who get it. I want to be with the people who understand that even though you're in the desert, you're on your way to the house of God. I want to be with the people who understand that even when I'm on a pilgrimage, I'm on my way to Zion and one day God himself will make the whole world his dwelling place. I want to be with those people. I don't just want to be with community. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in journeying with the people of God on my way to the house of God. And then secondly, verse 6, he goes on. He says, I'm deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you. From the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. The psalmist remembers God. We remember God himself. And when you look at those verses, verse 6 says, from the heights, he starts naming some mountaintops. And then verse 7, he starts naming the depths. Now, I tried to find a commentary that said that the deep calling out unto deep and the breakers and the waterfalls was something positive. Because I think I've probably used that in a worship song or something like, oh, deep calls into deep and the roar of your waterfalls like it's the roar of God. No, no. Every one of the commentaries said the psalmist is talking about the crushing blow of life. (laughs) Sing that. The psalmist is talking about that feeling when. Hashtag TFW. 
That feeling when life breaks over you like a crushing waterfall and you feel like you're drowning in the depths. Now, I'm not a surfer, but people who are surfers, I have a few friends who've told me that sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll get on the wrong side of this massive wave and it breaks over you the wrong way and you get under it the wrong way and it just pulls you under. And when you bob back up, you're like so disoriented, you're not even sure which way to swim toward anymore. And in those moments, you can panic because it's hard to orient yourself. And the psalmist says, in those moments of disorientation, I will reorient my life around God. I will remember God. I'll remember God on the height, and I'll remember God in the depths. I'll remember God when I'm on the mountains, and I'll remember God when I feel like I'm being crushed by wave after wave. Recently, I was reconnecting with a friend that I had not seen in a number of years, and life has taken some unexpected turns for him, and we were catching up. And I said, tell me about the last decade or so for you. And he told me about the disillusionment of faith and things that had begun to happen in his own life that were unexpected. Car accident had left him with chronic pain that was there was no solution to, and it, it ended up ending his career. It ended all of the friends that he thought were going to be there for him. And he found himself deeply, deeply depressed, turning to all kinds of other things to quench his thirst. Ended up having a struggle with painkillers, ended up having a struggle with alcohol, finding him in, himself in a deep, dark place. And he said, I, I realized all of a sudden that this was going nowhere, and I was close to ending it. And he says, in that moment, I began to aim my thirst toward God. He had no idea what I was preaching today. He said, in that moment, I began to recognize it's God. He starts to turn towards God, found a different career path, and then started to get super successful in that career, started making money, started winning awards, started just crushing it, and then almost threw it all away with an affair. And he said, Glenn, I've realized there's two kinds of brokenness in life, the brokenness from unexpected pain and the brokenness from your own sin. And he's like, I, I almost experienced both. And he said, in that moment, I was about to sort of throw it all away, and I realized, this is, this is not it. This is not what I want to do. And he began to turn back to the Lord again. See, this is the psalm, what the psalmist does. I've been in the depths. I've been on the heights. And in both places, I want to remember God. I want to remember God. Walter Brueggemann talks about the Psalms of Lament. He's an Old Testament scholar. He talks about the Psalms of Lament as giving us language for our disorientation. Life, so disorienting. And yet the psalmist always finds a new orientation. He begins to reorient around God. That's what's happening here. The psalmist begins to say, but how? No, 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 I've got to remember God. Sometimes remembering God looks like taking your complaint to God. Sometimes remembering God is not, is not some sort of display of piety. Oh, Lord, thank you for the calamity which befalleth me. What? Sometimes reorienting and remembering God is not about sort of having some false sense of piousness. God, thanks for this hardship. I receive it as a blessing. The psalmist, does a, the psalmist is like honest. He's like, God, where are you? 
Have you forgotten me in all of Psalm 42? His way of remembering God is by saying, I feel unremembered by you. That's his way of remembering God. And then Psalm 43, many people believe that Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are actually one song, and they're sort of stitched together by a common chorus, which we'll see in a moment. But Psalm 43, he starts to move from his lament into his petition. He starts to ask God for stuff. And look at all these verbs. Establish justice for me, God. Argue my case against the ungodly people. Rescue me from dishonest and un- the dishonest and unjust. Send your light and truth. Those will guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your dwelling place. Let me come to God's altar. Let me come to God, my joy, my delight. And then I will give you thanks with the liar. God, my God. Sometimes remembering God looks like a lot of petitioning God. Sometimes remembering God, reorienting around God is a way of saying, God, establish justice. God, argue my case. God, rescue me. God. And you see how the tone of his prayers change? He starts by kind of this big Wide-angle lens, establish justice, argue my cause. Then it starts to get more personal, rescue me. And then he gets toward the end, he says, let me come before your altar. Like, God, I want you to fix stuff, but in the end, I just want to be close to you. If you imagine Old Testament Israelite worship, the altar is about the closest place you can get to God. And the psalmist here, he's longing for proximity with God. See, this is what happens when you begin to redirect your thirst toward God. Your thirst becomes a way to actually draw near to God. Your thirst becomes a way to say, God, at the end of it all, what I'm longing for most is you. Yes, I want justice. Yes, I want to be delivered. Yes, I want circumstances to change. But God, just let me be near your altar. God, just let me be close. Just let me be close to you. And then thirdly, we begin to remember that our hope is in God. That our hope is in God. Three times in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, he says, he sings the same refrain. Now, I've been a songwriter, less so these days. But to me, that's a chorus if there ever was one. That's a chorus. And when I would write songs, a lot of times I would start by writing the chorus first, and then I would find the verses and the way into it, and that's exactly what the psalmist is doing here. He knows his chorus. He knows his chorus. And the first few verses lead into it. That's his, like, verse 1. Then he takes another few verses that lead into it this way. That's his verse 2. Then he's got another few verses that lead into it. That's his verse 3. But he knows his chorus. There's a refrain that you keep coming back to over and over again. And in Psalm 42, verse 5, verse 11, and Psalm 43, verse 5, over and over again, this is the exact refrain. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. I will still praise him. Him, my Savior and my God. Why are you dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God. (laughs) Is that the wind? Is that what that is? That's great. As long as we know. (laughs) Put your hope in God and I will still praise Him. This is His refrain. This is the thing that He keeps coming back to over and over again. 
You know what I think keeps us from this refrain? Is we'll do anything to distract ourselves from our thirst. We'll do anything that we can to distract ourselves from our thirst. How often do we say, ah, oh, just another Netflix show, just another time out with the friends, just another this, just another that, another that. Anything to make us forget that we're thirsty. But the psalmist doesn't want to forget. And so he builds in this refrain. And he says over and over again, ah, no, 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 I'm not just going to ignore this. I'm going to acknowledge, yes, I am downcast. Yes, I am. And in the midst of it, I will put my hope in God. This isn't positive spin. This isn't the psalmist putting a happy face on it. This isn't the psalmist being unwilling to imagine or acknowledge what he's actually going through. This is the psalmist saying, there is a greater and a truer hope. There's something else going on here. There's some reason here that I can hang on. There's some reason that I can make it. And I think, even though this is his chorus, I think the real foundation of this whole song is in verse 8. And this is what he says in verse 8. By day the Lord commands his faithful love. By night his song is with me. By day the Lord commands his faithful love, and by night his song is with me. Now we need two words to translate this. We say faithful love, but it's only one word in Hebrew. It's the word hesed. And we can never get enough English words to translate hesed. If you're a parent who reads the Jesus Storybook Bible to your kids, then you'll know Sally Lloyd-Jones says it as the never-ending, never-stopping, unbreakable you know, love of God. You could add in all the adjectives you want. The never giving up. The constant. Hesed is about God's covenant love. It's about God's loyal love. And the psalmist is able to interrupt his spiral and redirect his hope into God over and over again because he says, I know that, Lord, you command your steadfast love. You command it to me, and your song is with me in the night. I love this because in his chorus he says, yet will I praise him. But really what the psalmist is saying is, God, the only reason I still have a song is because you're still singing. The only reason I still have a song is because you're still singing through the darkest of night. I mean, can you imagine it? Picture yourself there. And some of you, this is real for you. This is the now for you. You don't have to work even very hard for this. You know the dark, dead night. And what if in that moment you just quiet your heart and you say to your soul, shh, shh, can you hear it? Can you hear it? The Father is singing. The Father is singing. The Lord commands his song by night. The steadfast love of the Lord never, never lets go. Not when the breakers crush over you, not on the heights of the mountains, not in the dryness of the desert. The steadfast love of the Lord holds. And so the psalmist knows, he remembers that his hope is in God. The psalmist starts to remember the hope is not the hope is not that everything works out right. The hope is not that I have enough in my bank account. The hope is not that I get a good report from the doctors. The hope is not that life will get better and better until we live happily ever after. The hope is in the steadfast love of God and God alone. God alone. Only the steadfast love of God can satisfy our thirst. Only the steadfast love 
of the Lord. As Christians, we hear that of the steadfast love. And we look forward beyond the psalm and we see Calvary. And we see Jesus on the cross, the suffering Savior. We see Jesus, the risen one. And we say, yeah, the steadfast love of the Lord is with me by day. And his song is with me at night. When I was growing up, there was a little chorus we used to sing about this. It's a very simple chorus. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. New every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. Some of you, that's your way of redirecting your heart right now. That's your way of aiming your thirst at the Lord himself. In the midst of this dark night, in the midst of this dry desert, sing it again with me. In the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. They are new. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faith.